Reporting on the games you love by people who love to game. The MMO Reporter Network. Greetings, friends, and welcome to episode 3 of the Game Diplomat Podcast, a bite-sized show about great games you might have missed. I'm your host, Josh Augustine, and today I want to tell you about how I delved into the dark depths of madness in search of treasure, monsters, and my family's lost legacy. You see, it all happened in the darkest dungeon, where you send expeditions of adventurers into Cthulhu nightmare dungeons, hoping they can defeat the enemies and bring back loot to your haunted estate, so that you can upgrade it and provide better resources to conquer the next dark dungeon. And yes, there actually is a final darkest dungeon, and it's gnarly. Darkest Dungeon is a gorgeous turn-based strategy game where you take adventurers through procedurally generated dungeons to search for treasure, battle monsters, and hopefully evade traps. It's created and published by Red Hook Studios and released on Steam in January 2016. It was available in early access for about a year before then, and actually I think it's one of the best examples of an early access game done right. They've been extremely open with their development, careful about balancing their vision for the game along with community requests and feedback, and been doing really big content updates really frequently. It's been really great. So well done, Red Hook. Alright, so here's how it works. Adventures show up your, at your hamlet every day, and you pick four of them to put into a party and send into a dungeon. Now there are 15 different hero types, so the people that show up every day can be randomly one of those hero types. And they range from, you know, the Holy Paladin Crusader, to the Cursed Abomination, to the Leper who's fighting but has to wear a mask, uh, to the lighthearted but still kind of creepy Jester character, right? So each hero shows up on your doorstep with a randomized set of skills and stats, and you can train them and buy them equipment, and you, then you pick a dungeon to send them into. And you can choose different lengths from short to very long, and then you pick an area. So there's five regions, the Ruins, the Warren, the Cove, the Weald, the Weld? I don't know how to pronounce that, and the Darkest Dungeon. So fun fact, that Weald or Weld, however it says, W-E-A-L-D, is a specific farmland forested area in southern England, which is where I'm guessing this name come from, and I've never heard it before. So each dungeon type has different enemies in it. So the Warrens are filled with super gross pig people, the Cove are fish people, and the Weld is filled with disgruntled English peasants. I mean, gross mushroom plant monsters. Yeah, that, that's a better Cthulhu monster. <laughs> and it's not just visual. Even though the difference in visuals for each one is awesome, the different enemies have different strengths and weaknesses. They have their own stats and resistances and stuff that you can see as you fight them. So, for example, skeletons can't bleed, so your bleed-heavy team comp won't work well in the ruins. So you know that going forward, so you plan your strategy around where you're sending your teams. So you've built your team. Now, the last thing you do before you send them into the dungeon is you buy them supplies. And this is where you could choose. Do you want to be stingy, not give them a lot of supplies, and hope they can make it on their own? Or maybe you don't care if they make it on their own, right? Or do you spend a lot of money on supplies up front so they have things like torches to keep it lit, shovels to break through barriers, uh, bandages if they get bled, food if they get hungry. And so it's this risk-reward thing where you can pay a lot of money up front to make sure they have everything, but it gets wasted. Um, you get a small refund at the end of the dungeon if you have stuff left over, but it's not nearly what you paid for it. So then you send them into the dungeon. This is where it gets hairy, right? Each dungeon is randomly generated. So the levels are basically tile-based hallways where you walk down that hallway and then it connects to either other hallways and rooms. And each tile in the hallway can have a thing on it, like a treasure chest, a trap, a cave-in that you have to dig through, or monsters. 
And then you can choose to interact with the things that you walk by. Usually, stuff like monsters are going to interact with you, whether you like it or not. But if you spot a trap, you can try and disable it before you get there. And if you find, like, a weird bookcase, you can choose whether you want to read the books on it or not, which is just likely to scar your person mentally as it is to give them a buff or, or be filled with gold or whatever. So then, as you're traveling down the dungeon, you're trying to keep your adventures healthy and not stressed out. That's the big goal, right? And, of course, balancing that with the risk of wanting all that treasure that's in those hidden bookcases. Uh, Because at any point, the monsters can ambush you. And when they do, you go into turn-based combat. And you have four dudes on your side, and they're kind of just set from left to right. And the enemy often has four. They can have less or more. Uh, And then, based on each character's speed, they they take turns. And they can use one ability per turn. Shoot their gun, heal an ally, swipe at an enemy, move positions. And moving positions is actually really important. Because a lot of abilities can only be used, like, for example, when your character is at the front of the group. Or it can only hit the enemy that's at the back of the group. So you take turns battling it out, trying to outsmart your opponents and beat them. And then every dungeon you go into has a specific quest that you're trying to complete to get big rewards at the end. And you can flee early if you want to, but you don't get the big rewards. Some are story-driven, and they spawn special bosses or loot inside the dungeon for you to find. But you can also just run generic dungeons, just kind of farm on dungeons, where you get explore 90% of rooms or defeat all combat encounters. And then as soon as you're going through the dungeon, you accomplish that quest, you get a big notice. You can choose to leave or stay and keep going if you're feeling risky. So if it sounds fun so far, maybe a little, you know, spooky for you. Here's the thing you need to be okay with if you're going into when you, if you're going to enjoy this game. You won't always complete that quest because things will go wrong. Often. This game doesn't hand out gold stars to everyone. There's no participation medals. You have to work for your win. Your adventurers can die, and it's permadeath. If that crusader that you've put a ton of gold into upgrading and training and buying the best gear, if he dies, he's gone for good. So it adds a whole new level of pressure to every dungeon run. When do you want to decide to cut bait and run, right? Is it worth the risk of trying to explore just one more room to complete that quest when you're out of torches and it's pitch black? I mean, it could just be an empty room filled with treasure chests for you to loot and get tons of stuff. But it could also be a horrifying tentacle monster that's going to devour your whole group. Right, so of course the solution early on, if you have the stomach for it, is to use adventurers like disposable loot grabbers. (laughs) Invest as little as possible into them and let their bodies pay the price for dungeon delving as you reap the rewards. But no matter how you get the loot back to your base, and one adventurer needs to get out of the dungeon alive or you get nothing, you can use that loot to upgrade your camp. So this is the permanent progression in the game, because you can upgrade your heroes and stuff outside of them, but if they die, they're gone. But the camp is never destroyed. So your camp is filled with a bunch of useful buildings you can use to, you know, recruit new adventurers, boost the skills on your adventurers so their combat skills are more powerful, uh, give them more training so they have better base stats, um, or you can kind of heal them after battle. And over time, your big picture goal is to build up an army of reliable adventurers. You can have, I think like right now I have 25 different people on my roster, adventurers, and then as they die I replace them with new guys um, from the wagon, the stagecoach that comes in every day. So you want to build up an army of leveled up dudes uh, that you've trained, you've put uh, weapons into, you've put a lot of gold into making sure they're healthy, happy, and good at fighting so that you can go into the higher level dungeons and conquer them there and beat the really big monsters. Impressive. So that's the basic premise of the game. Let's talk about seven specific reasons why you should play it right now. 
Number one, you get to decide how dark it is. I know that doesn't sound very exciting, but the torch feature is actually one of the most clever and revolutionary game mechanics I've seen in a while. So your group enters the dungeon with a fully lit torch, and you can see at the top of the screen, it has a bar and lights radiating out from it, kind of lighting up the 2D scene of the dungeon in front of you. It's really cool. And then as you travel, you'll see the nor- the torch kind of naturally fade over time. Notches go down, and it gets a little darker around you. The light rescinds. It actually gets a little spooky. And then you have to keep lighting more torches to keep it bright. Um, and then the, you can see more around you and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but here's the brilliant part. It's not just visual, right? Because it does look really cool. The torch level that you choose to set is actually how you choose what difficulty you want to play at. So keeping the world super bright and keeping the torch always lit, you know, it kind of makes sense if you're exploring a dungeon. The monsters can't surprise you. You can see further headed into the dungeon and plan accordingly. But as it gets darker, the monsters will be able to ambush you, which is really bad because it randomizes your adventure's order, the position order when you get ambushed. Uh, which can make them totally useless. If it throws your backline cleric in the very front and throws your tank way in the back, you're going to have to spend several turns moving them back to where they need to be to use their abilities. And it lets the enemies attack first, guaranteed. On top of that, if it gets darker, your heroes will get stressed out and lose their sanity more quickly, which is bad. We'll talk about it in a little bit. And, And monsters deal more damage. So you're thinking, why would anyone let it go dark? Is this just a masochistic, like, show off mode? But here's the trick. When it's dark, the monsters drop more loot. Like, a lot more loot. And so it's this really interesting trade-off, especially once you start getting the combat abilities that are affected or uh, can affect the torch level, right? So if you have clerics, the holy kind of healers in there, uh, they may raise the light level when they, you know, call down a beam of light to smite their enemies. But if you have a cultist in your team, their, their spells may lower it. And so it won't always be your choice. Sometimes bosses will blow out the torch when they show up. And so automatically you're at the disadvantage. There's a lot of really cool mechanics to do with it. But overall, though, it makes the game just super accessible and customizable for different people. Because personally, I'm really low risk. I hate losing my adventures. So I buy them tons of torches. I give them tons of torches, tons of food every single time they go into a dungeon. And I keep the lights maxed out all the time. I don't really care that I don't get as much loot. I'm just happy they're safe and can return home. That's what I want. But someone can take can make the game super hardcore, kind of live life a little more on the edge by only playing in the blackout light level. And that's where you'll crit a bit more, they'll crit a lot more, and you can get a lot more loot and power level their town faster if they're good enough. But me, I'm happy to take the stress-free and slow and easy way. All right, reason number two. Your people can go crazy. Actually, a lot of things can happen to them other than just going crazy, but that's the most fun. So delving into a nightmare monster dungeon is dangerous. That sounds about right. And that was kind of the whole premise the Darkest Dungeon was built on. They wanted to build a really dangerous, punishing dungeon crawler game. So during a dungeon run, each adventure has two bars, health and stress. If they lose their health, they die. Pretty straightforward. But if they get too stressed out, if that bar maxes out, they'll hit a critical moment and have a crisis. And they can either rise to the challenge and overcome that crisis and they'll get a huge buff. They'll get like stalwart or fortuous or whatever and some cool adjective that makes them sound really powerful. And they'll just be like super powered for the rest of the dungeon. But more often they're going to crumble under the pressure and get a big negative personality trait like abusive or selfish. And these aren't just words that give them stat debuffs. 
they actually act like whatever they are. So selfish adventurers may refuse to heal other characters when you tell them to. They'll say, no, this is uh, this the spell is for me. Or they may charge ahead and take another character's turn and do whatever they want. So you're like, oh, cool, my healer's coming up next. This is going to be great. I'm going to heal my guy. And suddenly your jester, who's selfish, rushes forward and just stabs somebody. And is like, no, this is my turn. And suddenly you don't get your healer's turn. <laughs> and it's it's really just surprising. And so abusive characters, the other one I said, you know, they will insult their allies. or And they'll just tear into them, right? If, if their ally misses an attack or doesn't do a good enough job, they'll just start insulting them and making them feel awful. And of course, that stresses out everyone else, which causes them to crack sooner too. And then if the stress bar gets double filled, so the first time it filled, you get the crisis. The second time it gets filled, they will straight up have a heart attack and die, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. And will also stress out your other characters and can have this horrifying domino effect right before you kill a big boss that you've been fighting forever to kill. And now you have to start over because those adventures are all permanently dead and you've wasted all this... I'm sorry about that. As you can see, my adventurers weren't the only ones traumatized in the darkest dungeon. <laughs> but the other big personality thing is quirks. Let's talk about quirks, because these are more fun. Uh, every time a big moment happens in a dungeon, there's a chance your adventurer will get a quirk. It's just a little small personality trait that affects them and sticks to them over time. Some are pretty fun, like Bad Gambler, which can cause them to lose more money than usual if you send them to chill out in the tavern. And some restrict what activities they'll do to relieve stress. Like, God-fearing adventurers will only pray when they'll return to town. They refuse to do anything else you try and send them to do. Instead of drinking in the tavern, visiting the brothel, or whatever else. And then other quirks affect combat. Like, Night Owl gives them a speed boost while it's dark. And Kleptomaniac will cause them to steal treasure from your party during an adventure. I'm not kidding. Uh, you'll see loot in a bag, and he'll just rush forward and be like, That's mine! <laughs> and then you never get it. He gets it, and it's his. Uh, which is simultaneously infuriating and incredibly hilarious. <laughs> and these are the sorts of things that make the adventures feel like real people. They're interacting with you, right? They're making their own choices. You're not the omnipotent boss here. So while on their crazy, dangerous, spelunking escapades, adventurers can also get diseases, like rabies or scurvy, which hurt their stats. But luckily, you can choose to redeem or heal all your adventurers' quirks and diseases when you get them back to town. If you want to spend the gold. You can send them on activities to the church or tavern to lower their stress. You can send them to the asylum to remove their quirks or diseases. But all these things cost a lot of money and sometimes you're short on cash. So you're tempted to just throw them away. You know, broken minds and broken bodies discarded after they fought for you. Soulless wanderers devoid of purpose or sanity. Cursed to wander the estate grounds. Dreaming of vengeance against the cruel caretakers who abandoned them in the dark emptiness of the unknown. You know what? I'll just I'll just get it out there. Gwendol the Grave Robber. I'm really sorry about that. I had to just ditch her last night. It was unfortunate, but I would have gone bankrupt. And they had a lot of problems going on. I know I kind of caused the problems by sending them to the dungeon, but I just couldn't afford it. They had to go. I'm sorry. There was a new Grave Robber fresh off the stagecoach ready to take their place. I'm sorry, Gwendol. I feel a little bad, but not too bad. All right, reason number three. The Ancestor, who is, narrates everything that happens in the game, is one of the best narrators I've heard. It, it's so cool. Just listen to some of these clips. The way is lit. The path is clear. We require only the strength to follow it. As the fiend falls, a faint hope blossoms. Continue the onslaught. Destroy them all. Confidence surges as the enemy crumbles. 
There can be no hope in this hell. No hope at all. And now, the true test. Hold fast, or expire. More blood soaks the soil, feeding the evil therein. Alright, reason number four. Hero builds. So heroes show up on your doorstep with random abilities and stats, like I said, but there's tons of room to upgrade them, change their abilities, outfit them with sweet gear over time, if you survive long enough. Now, there's tons of unique gear in the game for each class, and there are some really clever ways to use them. Like, the occultist hero has this super, power, super powerful heal, but it leaves a bleeding damage over time effect on your ally, and so that's no good. But, you can give him an equipment that, change, that reduces his chance for bleed effects, um, which is normally a bad thing, right? Because normally you're putting bleed effects on the enemy, but here it actually makes him a better healer. So there's just little tricks like that, and there's many ways to build a hero. Uh, there are 15 total, and I've put in over 50 hours into the game. I feel like I've barely even scratched the surface. Reason number five, team builds. It's not just about making each character cool, right? It's finding ways to build interesting groups of four adventurers who work well together. And there's many cool ways to combo class abilities. And a lot of abilities are just kind of okay on their own. But you, when you find ways to make them work together, they're super good. Like the Antiquarian, who's like this kind of artifact-seeking person, has a Protect Me ability that forces an ally to take any attack center way and gives them a protective buff to help out. And that's okay on her own, but she's not really a big DPS thing, so it's not going to win you fights. But she can toss that buff onto a Highwayman, who can activate his own ability, which automatically counterattacks anyone who attacks him for the next few turns. So suddenly redirecting attacks to him gives a huge payoff because he gets these huge attacks anytime anyone attacks him. And that's just one kind of very simple example. There's over a hundred combat abilities currently in the game. So there's lots of different combos to discover. And you feel like a total genius when you figure one out. All right, number six, the bosses. Now, I can't believe we've actually gotten this far and I haven't talked about the bosses yet. They're super creative and have tons of unique mechanics that make them like puzzles you have to figure out and solve on the fly. Or maybe your second try or third try or fourth try if it goes poorly. For example, let's just run through a few of the cool ones. The hag has a big cauldron on her side, and she'll throw your adventures into it, cooking them over time, just one at a time she'll cook them. And you have to attack the cauldron to tip it over to release them. And the brigand pounder is this massive cannon that has soldiers around it, and you have to kill the matchman, who's the guy holding the match near the fuse, every turn, or else he's going to light it, and it's just going to blow up your whole party. It's going to be really bad. But every time the cannon's turn shows up and the matchman doesn't exist, he'll summon reinforcements and the matchman will come back. So the whole fight, you have to balance this, uh, keep this balance between destroying the cannon and making sure it never gets fired by the matchman. It's fun. And the Swine Prince is just this horrible, massive monstrosity with a cleaver that takes up three character positions. He does huge hits and his sidekick, this little scrawny pig man in the back, will casually tell him to target specific members of your party. Fair warning. You're going to be so tempted to kill that little pig man because he's so annoying. Be like, yes, kill your healer. Yes, kill that guy. Yes, kill him. But every time you hit the tiny pig man, the swine prince gets angry, does this huge retaliation hit, which I learned the hard way the first time. <laughs> so it's fun because you go to these boss encounters not knowing what to expect. And you can kind of guess, okay, the matchman's going to light the cannon. But you don't know how bad it's going to be if he lights the cannon. So you kind of have to figure out what's happening and develop strategies on the fly. All right, number seven, the spooky, gorgeous art. This game is just glorious. It's a super stylized version of cartoon gothic horror. It's 2D, so you're looking at it from the side most of the time. Um, but it does, like, zoom-ins and close-ups when they do their abilities, especially if they get, like, a, a crit or something like that. 
Uh, it might sound kind of a little weird style, but it's it's just really cool. It's a mix of dark and spooky things with fantasy style combat with magics and swords. It's almost like like a comic book Diablo vibe, I guess is maybe a good way to put it. So please just go check it out on our site so you can see what I'm talking about. It, just exploring the dungeons and looking at everything is exciting. So if that game sounds fun to you, and I hope it does, you can buy Darkest Dungeon for 25 bucks. There's links on GameDiplomat.com along with everything else we talked about here, plus a video of me playing through the game so you can check it out before you buy. And this video, like the first few episodes, is a little older. It's probably from about five, six months ago. So there's some new stuff in the game that won't be in the video, but you'll get the basic gist of what's going on. Or even better than buying, you can get it for free right now. Red Hook Studios sent us two keys to give away on the show. Well, thank you very much to them. And you can win one. All you have to do is answer this trivia question. And if history is any president, all you have to do is guess an answer to this trivia question. You don't even have to get it right to win because we haven't gotten many submissions so far. Um, here's the question. Which of these is not a quirk that your adventurer can get in Darkest Dungeon. So remember, these are the things that happen and affect the way that they uh, act. Uh, nymphomania, Stress Eater, Faithless, Clumsy, or Somniphobia. Email or tweet your guess to me. Uh, links on GameDiplomat.com to find out ways to contact me. Send it any way you like. I'll make sure you're included in the contest. And the correct answer to last week's trivia question about Party Hard's unlockable characters was Vampire, which doesn't exist in the game. I think they missed out by including him, a cool horror trope they could have included. Um, so congratulations to Dylan, the only person to answer correctly, and to the two Robs, the only other people who sent in guesses. And since we had three codes, everybody wins. And also, Rob was also the first person to rate us on iTunes. So thank you, Rob, for doing that. That helps other people find our podcast when searching on iTunes uh, so they can listen and join. So Dylan and both Robs each get a copy of Party Hard on Steam. It's a fun stealth strategy game with some dark humor. You can find out more about it on Episode 2 of Game Diplomat. And if you enjoyed the show, you can leave a review on iTunes, send some feedback to me, or suggest a game you think we should cover. Or hey, join our Slack channel and Steam group and talk with us and play games with us, which would be awesome. Or donate time or money. The all info for all that is on GameDiplomat.com. But no matter what, thanks for spending your time with us. I hope you've found a fun new game to play. And in the next episode of Game Diplomat, we'll talk about the Banner Saga, one of the best stories ever told in games. We'll see you then. <laughs>